Hey there, welcome to the Reversing Diabetes with Elaine MD podcast episode number 201. It's early on a Sunday morning. It's not super early, but it's early-ish. My kids are hopefully still asleep and they're not playing on the Xbox or doing anything that would eat up any of uh, the internet or the bandwidth. So um, hopefully I can get a good recording in here. If you're new to the podcast, let me introduce myself. I'm Delaine Vaughn. I'm a board certified family practice doctor. I'm a former emergency room nurse. I'm a veteran healthcare provider and the host of this podcast. This podcast is for women who are not ready to let go of their longevity, of their vitality and their vigor. This is for women that know that life is a gift and they're not ready to start the downward spiral of letting that go. I think most of us realize as we get older that the crispness of our youth and the exuberance of our stamina is going to dull a little bit, but we're not ready to blunt it out entirely. When we get a diagnosis like diabetes or prediabetes, we see this as a warning shot that threatens this gift of life and we want to stop it. The more we learn about diabetes, the more we understand that this is a process that really has to be stopped and reversed in order to maintain the spirit that's always been us. This podcast is dedicated to strategies to helping women do just that. So let's get started. Before we jump in, I have a couple of announcements that I typically make. Gentlemen listening, I know I have a lot of gentlemen listeners and I really appreciate and adore you all and I love hearing from you and I don't want that to stop. But if you're looking for a coach to help you do this work, his name is JP Balwin and I always feel like I mess up his name, but is Balwin Maybe I'm doing it right. I don't know. Bolwin, I think is his last name. It's B-O-L-W-H-W-A-H-N-N. B-O-L-W-A-H-N-N. He helps men make healthy lifestyle changes. He trained at the same school that I trained at. He and I have spoken before. I'm hoping I can get him on the podcast at some time and we can talk shop. Um, But his uh, website is higherlevelcoaching.co not.com, .co, higher level coaching, all spelled as it should be, all lowercase, no spaces. So if you're looking for a coach to guide you through this, somebody that teaches the same strategies that I teach, check him out. I think he can be very helpful for the gentleman out there. So today we are going to talk about attachment. And again, that's, um, as I'm so excited to bring this topic to you guys. It's something I've been working on in my life, and it's something that um, I've been working with my clients on. And I just think um, it's one of those things that you really see under the the surface level of what's going on, and it's so very, very helpful once we see it. Before we do get started again, I want to mention, be careful if you're on medications. If you're medicated for your type 2 diabetes and you make the changes that I recommend in this podcast, you can make yourself very, very sick. If you intend to make these changes and you're on medications for your type 2 diabetes, please call your provider, have a conversation with them, let them know what you intend to do. If you can't get a hold of them, tell the nurse, have the nurse tell you what they want you to do um, as far as sharing your blood sugars with them so they can start to adjust your medications down as you start to see your blood sugars drop down and keep you safe and keep you in a good place with that. You're going to need to figure out how that line of communication is going to be with your provider and that's really provider dependent so you need to make a call to them okay be careful though if you're making these changes also please rate the podcast if you're listening on the podcast apps please rate the podcast the more times you rate or review or i guess it's not the more times but the more people that rate or review the podcast the more this podcast gets presented to people if you're getting help from this podcast there are others out there like you and let them get the help too. Rate and review the podcast so this podcast gets put in front of more people. 
Also, follow me on Instagram and Facebook, Delane MD, straightforward. Follow me on those. Um, there is a group on Facebook, Delane MD Reversing Diabetes is a private group. Join it. It's really fun in there. The folks in there are just so helpful and it's such a fun community to be a part of. I enjoy being a part of it. I actually, next week, um, I'm going to share a recipe uh, that one of the people put in, one of the group members put in the uh, group. It's a great group. Um, lots of goodness in there. So if you're interested in that, Delane MD Reversing Diabetes is the group name on Facebook. Search for it, ask for entry in there, and I'll get you in there. All right, so let's talk about attachment. Attachment is our investment in an outcome. Okay, that's basic. Like, what is attachment? I'm not talking about, I'm sorry, let me rephrase this. I'm not talking about relationship attachments that we talk about in psychology, and they're talking about whether you're an avoidant attachment type or uh, any, I'm not talking about that, an insecure attachment talk. I'm not talking about that attachment. That's not the attachment I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the attachment that we have to an outcome. So what I mean by attachment is it's really how invested we are in an outcome. So sometimes this is really totally a reasonable thing. All the time, it's probably a totally a reasonable thing. But sometimes our attachment is something that works for us and sometimes it's not. So a reasonable, probably superficial attachment that you can probably relate to. When I go to the gas station, I expect the outcome of getting a full tank of gas. I'm attached to it. I'm invested in that result and that outcome. But I never lose my marbles if it doesn't come together. <laughs> I don't get depressed. I don't manipulate others. I don't say, F it, I'm going to just take the car to the junkyard and never get a full tank of gas, right? If for some reason I can't get a full tank of gas at that gas station, I just go to another station. I'm not so attached to the outcome that if it doesn't go as I expect, I create an obstacle out of frustration with it, okay? There is an attachment to the outcome of a full tank of gas that really works in my favor of getting the outcome, <laughs> right? There's no like crazy attachment that's so sticky that I get so frustrated if it doesn't come together. There are other outcomes in our world that carry more meaning like that. It carries more meaning in our brain. So the outcome of health is frequently tied up to self-value. The outcome, the, another example is the outcome of our financial solvency or security. Frequently, we have that tied up to our self-value. The attachment that we have with the outcomes of relationships, frequently tied up to our self-value. When we attach our self-value to these outcomes, we start acting a little crazy in order to ensure that we have those results and the outcomes that we want. After all, our value is tied up in it, right? So when I say crazy, I mean crazy like I want to be healthy, but I'm so frustrated that I'm just going to eat the pizza and the ice cream, right? Crazy in financial parts, like I want financial stability, but I'm so frustrated with my finances right now that I'm just going to go on a spending spree, right? A shopping spree crazy in relationships. Like I want to have this great relationship with my family member, but I'm going to go ahead and guilt them into doing something that I want them to do. Right. We start acting a little crazy when our value is tied up in that. So I want to dive into these. Um, you're going to hear these examples. Some of them are from my clients and some of them are my own experiences. And some of them are both the financial example that I'm going to use was my financial example in college. And I don't think that it's um, unique to me. Maybe certainly some people don't struggle with all of these areas, right? So maybe it doesn't make sense to you, but this was my experience in college. And it's something that I can see um, looking back on as something that I was pretty heavily attached to. 
Um, I'm going to talk about relationships. Um, again, these examples are things that I've coached women through, and then these are, I, I'm going to use personal examples um, specifically. So they're my examples. And then the other one, food. If you're listening to this podcast, you get the food thing, right? Like you understand the food attachment and the health attachment because that's what you're listening to this for is to get help with that component. So the financial stability example. So a lot of times we will make financial goals to have, for me, it was a certain amount of money in my checking account or my savings account. And again, I'm going to use this as me and, you know, take parts of it to apply to you or if you can see this in your life anywhere. But I was brought up to believe that the number of dollars in my savings account was representative of security and that I should be self-sufficient and that I should not spend all of my money. And it was thoughts like good people, smart people, responsible people have money in the bank. Okay. So I knew that this was kind of a goal that I should have, or I believe that I should have. And I still, I'm kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. I want to be that human. Right. But I would make these plans. Right. And it was a great plan. I would, it was a well thought out plan. In fact, looking back on it, it was probably planning in a way that was buffering. I would spend so much time planning and I would have a plan for like 10 years at 18. I shouldn't have been cutting my own meat, much less making plans for 10 years. I just wasn't mature enough to do that, but it was probably a little buffering, but I would make this really detailed plan and I would stick to it. But then life would happen as it does. Life would happen, right? I'd get a flat on my car or I can remember once the starter went out in my car, I would have an unexpected, unplanned expense and it would derail my financial plan entirely. I would feel in complete, um, I would be completely defeated in this. Like it would feel futile. I would say things like F it. It's never going to work out. Like I can't get it together. No matter what I do, something happens and I would go to the mall and I would buy my 67th pair of shoes or maybe the 20th flannel shirt because it was the nineties, right? Like something I had no need of, but I would go and have this shopping. I would spend off plan essentially. Of course, this gave me evidence of what I believed, which was I was not a good or smart or responsible person. It made me believe that I could not be financially stable. And of course it led to frustration, feelings like it's so hard to save money. And sometimes even like depression, like I'm never going to get out of this. I'm never going to be this person I want to be. So let's talk about a little truth bomb here. Let's break this down a little bit. The saving of money and the not spending the money on shoes and clothing was the financially responsible action. Okay. And that action was separated and had nothing to do with car repair or the number in my checking account. They were not attached. Okay. They're completely separated. And we're going to talk about this. Okay. The financially responsible thing was not the dollar amount in my account. The financially responsible, the action had nothing to do with the thing, right? The financially responsible person that I wanted to become was the person that wasn't out spending on frivolous things. When I couldn't seem to drive the number in my account up though, I felt badly. I felt irresponsible. I felt frustrated. I felt stuck. You strive in my brain. It was like, you strive to make the money so that you can have the security and the happiness, but then life happens. And what's the point? No matter what, I can't get ahead was the thought that would go through my head and I'd give up. And this is where our efforts to grow and become an upgraded version of ourselves, because we think we'll be happy, actually create unhappiness. 
right? I wanted to be a financially responsible person. I believe that the number in my account was a measure of this, but when it wasn't going where I wanted it to be, I thought I was doing it wrong. It felt awful. I felt badly. We believe that we will have an outcome and the outcome will create happiness in our lives. And then when it doesn't, we become less happy. And then we think that because we made the stupid goal, it's not working. Let's just stop making goals. Right? It's not the goal. It's the attachment to the outcome of the goal. So you might be thinking, but no, the number in the checking count is the measure. I can hear you in your head saying this. And yes, it is a gauge. However, I could have hit the lottery and had a million dollars in my savings account. And it doesn't make me the financially responsible person I wanted to be. It does not make me the upgraded person that I wanted to be. Okay. The financially responsible person that I wanted to be has nothing to do with the outcome. It has to do with the action of frivolous spending. Okay. That's the thing that I needed to be doing. Not worried so much about the number in the bank. Okay. So. Let's see where this applies to relationships. I think a lot of us have attachments to outcomes in our relationships that lead to manipulations is really what it comes down to. Crazy actions because we take our value, our self-value is tied up in whatever the outcome of the relationship is. Again, we see this in relationships with our parents. We see it in relationships with our children. So parent-children relationships are a big one. We see it with spouses. We see it with friends and colleagues. The example I'm going to do or I'm going to look at today has to do with children. Many of us, including me, have beliefs that good parents have children who want a relationship with us, who want to be around us, who want to come see us as parents. Okay. In this statement, we've defined that when kids want to have a relationship with their parents and come see them, it's because they're good parents. Okay. Clearly, there's a self-value component to this. When our grown children tell us that they're not coming to see us, maybe they're not coming home for the holidays, that value becomes immediately threatened. That self-value becomes immediately threatened. We have a feeling of threat. We feel threatened. If my kids don't want to come see me, it must be because I'm not a good parent. Because our self-value is threatened and we are trying to get a free-willed human to support our self-value, right? We're trying to get some free-willed being to behave in a way that upholds our value. We become a little nutty and trying to get our kids to come see us, okay? Sometimes this looks like we're guilting our kids. Sometimes it has the form of holding their holiday gifts hostage so that they come see us to get them, right? And maybe you don't do this, but I mean, I think we've all heard of stories, right? At the very least, we get sad. We feel very sad and that sadness keeps us from engaging with them. If when I talk to them, they say they're not going to come see me and I feel sad, I don't want to have any conversation or engagement with my child. I'm going to just not talk to them at all because I don't want to feel sad. And of course, that gives us evidence that we're not being the great parents that we want to be. Okay. It keeps us from engaging with our family, with our kids in a way that brings evidence that we're good parents. So, um, I don't know, this is a moment. I think, I don't think I've ever not shared this on the podcast, but it's definitely a vulnerable moment. This is one of my darkest moments in my, in my life. Um, my eldest son, when he was a teen, he and I had a very strained relationship. In fact, like it's probably the definition of estrangement is what we had. There were many times that he chose not to be around me. 
on holidays, Christmases, birth, uh, Christmases, definitely, um, Easter's, those kinds of things, Thanksgiving's, all of them. Um, we have shared birthdays. My birth, his birthday is the day after my birthday. <clears throat> so we had shared birthdays. He wouldn't come around for my, he wouldn't even acknowledge my birthday and wouldn't let me give him a gift on his birthday. Mother's Day, all of the things. We were estranged for a couple of years. He just opted not to be with me and it hurt immensely and it shook my value to the core. Absolutely. I definitely felt all the feelings with this. I felt like I was the worst mother in the world. Absolutely. I did do the withholding of gifts and other really unbecoming behaviors that really revolved around me being the victim of the, of the circumstance, right? Like, oh, it's woe is me. I was the victim. That was really the most unbecoming parts of what I did. I wasn't hateful, I don't think, to him. Um, I think there were, I did try to manipulate by withholding gifts to see if I could get him to come see me. I did this because I felt that his disengagement with me was a reflection of my value as a mother. And it hurt very, very badly. And it took counseling and a lot of introspection and coaching for me to realize that his behaviors were his and my behaviors were mine. When I withheld guilt or gifts and put guilt on my son, that was not the act of being a good mother. And my son being around me or present for any special days, that was not good mothering in itself. Being so tied up to the outcome of him being present that I acted in a way that did not align with being a good mother, it kept me stuck from being the mother I wanted to be for him. It was an obstacle. So what I learned through that was loving my son unconditionally, always choosing love, always offering love, always making sure that my actions came from a space of love, sending him love, even if it was sending it out into the universe, even when my heart hurt so badly, that was the action of good mothering. It was a tough, tough lesson to learn, but he and I and my younger children have all benefited because I learned that lesson. The result of having your children around you is not what makes a good parent. No more than having an amount in the checking account is what makes you a financially responsible person. The act of loving our children is what makes us good mothers. Just like the act of not spending frivolously makes us financially responsible. So being the person who behaves or acts in a way that creates the outcome is the point. But when we're so invested in the outcome that we lose sight of that point, of becoming that person, it becomes an obstacle, okay? So the health example I'm gonna use, and it's gonna be related to the scales that we use to measure our health. So the glucometer, so your prick machine, or the weighing and the scales, okay? I see this with my clients. We have a belief that sound like, it sounds like it's good to be healthy or good people are healthy or good people set goals and achieve them. That's another one, right? There are many versions of this that revolve around grateful people and responsible people and self-controlled people. Dig in for yourself, see what your thought is, see what's coming up there for you. Because there is a self-value component to this outcome, we become pretty attached to the outcome. So when the blood sugar reading and the scale becomes a tool that keeps us stuck, this is where I see this not working out for women because they want to avoid checking their sugars or avoid the scale. And it goes back to this whole effort mentality, right? If I can't make the money and make the account number, uh, the savings account number climb, effort, I'm going to go shopping, right? 
if I can't have my child around me so that I can have proof that I'm this loving parent, then I'm going to do these unloving things. F it, right? This is that F it mentality, okay? If it's going to feel awful, awful, I'm not even going to do it, okay? If the number is quote-unquote bad, then I am a blank. Most of the time, it's some version of a failure, okay? It feels awful. It feels insecure. It feels worried. And so we avoid glucometers, the prick machines. We avoid the scale. We avoid these things, okay? This keeps you stuck. You're never going to get the job done. You're never going to get to that healthy version of yourself if you're not looking at those numbers, okay? Women will make dietary changes. They'll eat all the salads. They'll eat chicken. They'll record their carbohydrate counts. And they'll reconcile it with blood sugars. And they'll make adjustments. And then the blood sugar reading does not come up what they expect it to be. Or the scale doesn't move downward. The attachment to those numbers leads to the feeling of defeated, and that leads to effort moments. Effort moments inevitably are counterintuitive to what you believe as being healthy, and certainly it's not happiness, okay? You make the goal to be healthy, and then you have an effort moment, and it never leads to better health. The thought, the glucometer, the prick machine, or the scale isn't moving in the direction that I expected for all the work that I'm doing, for all the changes I'm making. It should be different. F it. I'm going to eat the pizza. I'm going to eat the ice cream. It's not working anyway. F it. I'm going to skip my workout because it's not helping anyway. We can become so attached to that reading on the glucometer on the scale, and the attachment is so heavy. We're so heavily invested because we've tied our value to it, okay? So once again, we're attached to this reading on the scale or on the meter, this number, because we believe that it defines our health and it defines us as being good. We are healthy and we are good. It defines both of them and we believe that. So the truth bomb, guys, if you're shopping for shoes, come back to me. If you're spacing off and daydreaming, come back to me because the truth bomb here the number on your prick machine and the number on the scale is not health. It's not healthy, okay? Eating foods that are healthy, that is what health is. It's not the number on the scale or the glucometer. It is the act of eating food that aligns with your human biology. Salads, veggies, fruits, meats. That's health, not the number. When you're so attached to that number that it creates an effort moment with pizza or ice cream, we keep that keeps us stuck it's an obstacle we have it wrong the number is not the health avoiding the pizza and the ice cream guys that's healthy okay if you go back to the podcast um i think it's number one 198 where i talk about cognitive distortions this is an all or nothing cognitive distortion this behavior is a cognitive distortion the action creates us becoming the person we want to be so there is a difference between having an outcome that we value and attaching our self-value to an outcome, okay? The action creates what we want in the long run, but when your self-worth and your self-value get tied up, recognize the outcome is not that. The self-worth and the self-value is not the same as the outcome that you want or value. Listen to me, guys. You know plenty of people who are thin and not healthy, you can smoke cigarettes. You can smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. Your scale is going to be in a normal BMI and likely your A1C is going to be normal. But you're not healthy, guys. It's not that number. It's the things that you're doing, the actions you're taking. That is what is health. 
So there is a saying that one of my clients brings up and I love her so deeply. And um, she ha she's a healthcare provider by training and she remembers somebody, a doctor said this to her once in her past. The further your actions are from your integrity or your true value, the more you're gonna suffer emotionally. And that's what it comes down to, right? For me guys, my scale was never outside of the normal BMI, but I knew that eating Diet Coke, drinking Diet Coke and eating M&Ms all day was not healthy. The true integrity, the true value that I had was health, not the scale. Okay. I still suffered and knew that I wasn't healthy because eating M&Ms and Diet Coke is not healthy. Just because the scale says that my number is what it should, what it, in a normal BMI, right? That's not, that's not aligned with my integrity of health. And I suffered emotionally with it, right? So understand. If you're doing this action, but you believe the number needs to be different, you're also suffering with that. That's creating this emotional suffering with that. You're gonna feel sticker, sticky with that, right? If you are so bothered by the number on the scale or the glucometer, the prick machine, that you are willing to throw in the towel because you're not seeing the results, you're missing the point. The numbers are not the health. The things that you do, that's what health is. So addressing these attachment issues really allows for empowerment, guys. It allows you to say, screw you, glucometer. I don't need you to say anything. I know running is healthy, right? Like this example, I had, I'm, I was running yesterday and I may not have shared this earlier. I was running yesterday and I was on a long run. And so it was very, very um, exhausting biologically, right? It was a biological stressor. Absolutely. It was a long run. It was six miles. It was hot. It was the middle of the morning. I didn't want to do it. The last probably mile and a half was pretty painful, um, but I did it. I wanted the first maybe two or three miles, but not the last few, but either way I did it. My, I'm wearing a continuous glucometer. That's a whole nother podcast that I'll talk about, but I have been seeing my attachment to that number, which has been interesting to work through for, for myself. But um, my high alarm went off that my blood sugar was high it went into the 170s during my run guys okay the attachment one might have to that number being an evidence a, a, a health evidence if it went to 170 when i was running then the attachment would say like sense would say well clearly running's unhealthy that doesn't make any sense right that seeing the attachment to the number and seeing what was what was happening in my brain that like oh running like is clearly not an unhealthy thing empowers me to say screw you glucometer i don't care if you say 177 i'm gonna keep running because running's clearly healthy screw you glucometer i don't care if you say 150 after i ate chicken and salad chicken and salad's clearly not a problem i'm gonna keep doing that Addressing this attachment issue really allows for this empowerment so that you can make these decisions that you know are healthy and you can be that healthy human you want to be. Guys, this is where coaching works out. <laughs> you don't need me to tell you what to eat. You don't need me to tell you to lay off the pizza. You don't need me to tell you to lay off the ice cream or you don't need me to tell you to stay away from chocolate cake. Y'all know that. You need to figure out why you keep doing it. These are the things that keep us doing things that keep us sick and keep us stuck. This is where coaching helps. If you're interested in that, email me at delane at delanemd.com. I'm happy to answer any questions or get you on the schedule for a consult and we'll get you into the program and you can start fixing this. If you do have any questions about this information I present, don't hesitate to email me for that either. Delane at delanemd.com. I hope this has been helpful. I will be back next week.